Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. It's a mayor's race, people. Do we forget? You've got an election coming up. Joe Hogsett, Jefferson Shreve. This is happening. Don't know what your plan is. I know what mine would be if I lived in Marion County. But you don't live in Marion County. Yeah. And if you keep up with Joe Hogsett, nobody else is either. Tony Katz, 93 WIBC. Good morning. There is no weaker argument than, but you don't live. People. I engage commentaries about philosophy and theory uh, all over the globe. I don't live all over the globe. Although I think I would make a fantastic jet center. Just need the private plane. So if somebody wants to lend me the private plane uh, for, you know, we'll do, we'll do some jet setting. That's fine. I'm in. I'm in, I'm down. We should make that happen. How do I not have a private jet sponsor for this program? I did I did go on a, uh, a client visit. Uh, was it Monday? Monday. Um, I, don't, I don't, Am I allowed to announce? Am I, I, I am coming, coming to be a part of, of the WIBC world? I don't know if I'm allowed to announce. Someone, someone's got to tell me. Carrie from sales, you have to tell me whether I can, whether I can announce because it's good. It's very, very good. But we have a mayor's race. We have a mayor's race in Carmel coming up and we have got these local elections that matter. We have the FFA convention happening downtown this week. 70,000 visitors. This is Matt Bear's most wonderful time of the year. He loves the FFA. Actually, I do. It's a good time to show off a little bit as far as downtown goes. It's a good time. Right. So you've got this. And then, and then what is the one with the, uh, I'm, I'm saying 4-H, but that's not what I mean. Wait, maybe it is what I mean. Uh, you mean the FFA. They, they control the planes. No. No, FAA. The, the FFA is 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 no. I'm what? Not 4-H. It's the firefighter one. Oh yeah, there are firefighters that come downtown too. What is the name of that one? Uh, firefighters Convention United Anonymous. That's anonymous. I, I, yeah, I, I don't. I, mean, <laughs> I, I didn't. I, that I didn't know. It's it's a, it's a great convention. It brings in uh, so uh, you'll see the blue jackets. You'll see the people. Forty million dollars worth of economic impact. This is wonderful stuff. You know, what would be even better is if those people had restaurants to go to downtown. If if, if there were actually uh, more stores open. If if the mall. Uh, actually had an anchor tenant. If the streets were were safe, 
I'm just saying. I want the conventions. And I'm thrilled that they come. And this is where they have called home, as IBJ has uh, the story. They've been here since 2006. 2013 through 2015, they went to Louisville. They realized, big mistake, came back to Indy. This is excellent stuff. I'm thrilled to see it. But the convention world is not the only way Indianapolis survives. It needs more. And it needs more for the people who live here every day. When a convention comes, this town is very good at trying to hide the problems. Sweep them under the rug. We'll move the homeless out over here. We'll do this. We'll do that. The everyday issues. That's what you're voting on. And the everyday issues show us that this city is worse under Joe Hogsett over the last eight years. How can anybody think that the next four years will make it better? Well, Tony, I can't vote for Jefferson Shreve. Do you see what he said about guns? Yeah, he's wrong. He's wrong. But these are my options. And I have to go with the odds that things will get incrementally better under Jefferson Shreve. That's reality. There's some people who, who don't want to engage reality. They just want to engage in, in the lip service to some kind of, of what, what they declare to be principle. I don't argue that they value it. I argue that they're not applying it. I have to deal with the reality as it is. That's conservatism. And conservatism states, Shreve or Hogsett. Not what I would dream of and Hogsett. Shreve and Hogsett. That's reality. Well, the reality is that one's not different from the other. And if that's the case, why not go with Shreve and take a shot that you might be wrong? And I hope people do. And that's just one of the races that's going on. We will get into the others coming up. Tony Katz, 93 WIBC. Good morning. There's a story over at News Nation that I cannot begin to fathom. Scary movies can have therapeutic benefits. Uh nah. Nah, I'm not. I'm not buying into that. Ah! I'm not buying into the idea that I should watch scary movies and somehow magically I'm going to feel better. Oogie boogie. No. No. Don't believe it. Tony Katz, 93 WIBC. Good morning. There's a forensic psychiatrist by the name of Dr. Daniel Bober who should immediately lose his license. That watching a scary movies will activate the body's threat response system, right? Fight or flight. And what will happen is that it'll allow you to, to face your fears. It'll be good for your immune system and help you cope with other stress in your life by teaching you how to self-regulate your emotions. I I I don't I don't know I don't I I don't know how that's even remotely making sense. Who needs that? Who ne- you need a scary movie to have your emotions in check? 
That seems awkward to me. And who needs a scary movie when we've got real life punching you in the face? Oh, I don't understand the people who like to get scared. I don't understand. I don't. I don't. I admit, I don't. I don't get it. But I'm not here to tell you what movies to watch. That's that's not that's not what I do. I do other things. The popcorn moment. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. It's the story you need to hear to believe. Then grab your popcorn because there is more. Now, there are a couple of things that took place yesterday, a couple of hearings that took place. Uh, and I, I wanted to engage some of them. They, they're, they're not actually connected. One of them was Senator Rand Paul speaking to the FBI Director Christopher Wray about payments to Twitter. Director Ray, did the FBI, FBI pay Twitter money to moderate uh, content moderation? I'm not aware of us paying money to moderate content there or anywhere what else. The, what was the $3 million for that the FBI gave that's been revealed in Twitter files, which has been characterized by those writing the Twitter files as payment for content moderation? Basically, they said Twitter, you know, you guys were meet with them all the time. You had them taking down so many posts. They said, well, gosh, it's a lot of work. Why don't you pay us? And so you did. You paid them $3 million. Are you aware of the payment? I'm not aware of that specific payment, but I can tell you that when it comes to payments, uh, going back well over four decades, when we are required by federal law, when a company, like in this instance a provider, uh, goes through expenses to produce information, uh, we're required to reimburse them for those expenses. And so I think that a lot of the questions about payments revolve around exactly that. If I could just possibly give that a different angle it does sound like you paid twitter for content moderation that is that is exactly what it sounds like that the fbi paid twitter to change things that's messed up but i would argue not surprising not surprising at all. It is, in, in, in all the things going on, we, we sometimes lose sight of, of certain subjects. And, and, and one of those subjects has to be what it is that we're doing as, as a nation, how it is we are engaged. And if we have the institutions proving their lack of trustworthiness, how does one trust them? And then why is it that we are commanded to trust them? The reason people don't trust the CDC is because the CDC lied to us. The reason people don't trust their local school board is that the local school board said, you, the parents, are not worthy of knowing. And if you want to know, you, the parents, are the problem. And then the institutions worked with groups to imply that parents are domestic terrorists. What trust do you want? What trust do you think you deserve? One of those uh, places that, that they trust is, is broken is with media. It is, is, is about news. This is a, a tweet 
a post from NBC News. I'm going to read it to you. You ready? Here we go. Just before Election Day, conservative groups in Virginia are knocking doors using education, taxes, and other issues to convince voters to flip the state Senate. What is so wrong with that? Just before Election Day, they write, Conservative groups in Virginia are knocking doors, using education, taxes, and other issues to convince voters to flip the state Senate. That comes from NBC News. That was the tweet. In the headline, GOP-aligned groups start final grassroots push in Virginia. You mean they're campaigning? That's what you mean? You had to write an article... To engage a, a, what, a how dare they? They're campaigning. People on the political left don't campaign. By the way, in this election cycle, I've had a grand total of one candidate knock on my door. One. One one candidate knocked on, on my door. Am I allowed to say? I don't know. I don't know if I'm allowed to say. Well, I don't know why I wouldn't be allowed to say. Can I get a ruling on this there, uh, Producer Jonathan? Can I can I say if a candidate knocked on my door, I can say who it is? I would say so. Uh, uh, Rich Taylor. Carmel. Knocked on my door. I hate to know it was me. I opened the door and he's like, what? Knocked on my door. So far, the only candidate to knock on my door. That's campaigning. Why is NBC writing this like it's a problem? Why is this a news story? Candidate campaigns for election. Film at 11. But you write it to to make it sound like an issue, sound like a problem? Man, the trust thing is, is, is super real. And trusting the FBI? That's not today. Not today. So there is a what's called refugee camp in a place called Jabalia. This is in Gaza, and we know that Israel engaged a strike there. As you're seeing the reporting, an airstrike at the Gaza Strip's largest refugee camp Tuesday flattened housing blocks and sent hundreds of people to the hospital. Officials saying dozens of people had been killed. Tony Katz, 93 WIBC, good morning. When something like this happens, I take a breath as I do on all things. I want the story, and I'm not about to trust any Hamas entity in giving me the story. You tell me that it's a refugee camp. That's what you tell me. Who was there? Israel engages a bombing. Well, Israel admits to the bombing, but they did not admit to anything that is being claimed by Hamas. This was, it's it's a kind of long clip, but I wanted to share it with you. This was um, their, uh, one of their spokespeople, Lieutenant Colonel Richard Hecht, spokesperson for the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, uh, 
on CNN with Wolf Blitzer. There was a very senior Hamas commander in that area. Uh, sadly, he was hiding again, as they do, behind uh, within civilians. And that's all I can see at this point. We're looking into it and we'll be coming out with more data as we learn what happened there. So can you confirm it was an Israeli attack that uh, destroyed a big chunk of that Jabalia refugee camp? Yes, I can. We went, we were focused again on our target, a senior senior commander wolf, and we'll be updating uh, you with more data as the hour moves ahead. But even if that uh, uh, Hamas commander was there amidst all those Palestinian refugees who are in that in that Jabalia refugee camp, Israel still went ahead and, and dropped a bomb there, uh, attempting to kill this Hamas uh, this Hamas, Hamas commander, knowing that a lot of innocent civilians, men, women, and children, presumably would be killed. Is that what I'm hearing? That's not what you're hearing, Wolf. We again were focused on this. Commander, again, who you'll get more data who this man was, uh, killed many, many Israelis. Uh, we're doing everything we can. These are, it's a very complicated battle space. There could be infrastructure there. There could be tunnels there. Uh, we're still looking into it, and we'll give you more data as the hour moves ahead. But you know that there are a lot of refugees, a lot of innocent civilians, men, women, and children in that refugee camp as well, right? This is the tragedy of war, Wolf. I mean, we, as you know, we've been saying for days, move south. Civilians that are not involved with Hamas, please move south. Yeah, uh, I'm just uh, trying to get we, a little bit more information. Uh, you knew there were civilians there. You knew there were refugees, all sorts of refugees. But you decided to still drop a bomb on that refugee camp attempting to kill the Hamas commander. By the way, was he killed? I can't confirm yet. There'll be more uh, updated. He, yes, we know that he was killed. Um, about the civilians there, we're doing everything we can to minimize. Uh, I'll tell. I'll say it again. Sadly, they are hiding themselves within civilian population. And again, we are doing this stage by stage, and we're going to go after every one of these terrorists who was involved in that heinous attack on the seventh of October. Well, so. There are a couple things here worth breaking down. Number one, uh, the spokesperson for the IDF says that this Hamas target was killed, but was not willing to engage the idea of how many civilians were killed. In the same breath, Wolf Blitzer is making the claim of all these civilians, but he doesn't have a number, and what we don't have is proof that they were there. I'm not arguing they weren't. I am saying that the claim of this largest this or largest that is a claim that comes from Hamas, and I wouldn't believe any claim that comes from Hamas, and you shouldn't either. This happened. Now let's find out what comes of it. Let's find out who was there. The United Nations has 116,000 registered Palestinians live there. I was also told that a rocket was fired by Israel and hit a hospital in Gaza, but that didn't happen. It didn't even hit the hospital. It hit next to the hospital. The hospital is still standing. So, I'm going to take a breath and a beat. I'm not going to avoid any story. I'm going to avoid a press corps that isn't interested in facts. That I will avoid. Tony Katz, 93, WIBC. Good morning. 
I am not afraid. But I keep hearing and seeing people talk about being afraid. And uh, specifically to the quote-unquote Jewish community, I don't understand what it is you're afraid of. Tony Katz, 93 WIBC, good morning. I, I, I get it. It's terrorism. I get it. They're after you. My question is, you didn't know this? Maybe that's why I'm not afraid. You know, and I know, they hated Jews. Hamas, the Ayatollah, and the mullahs, the hardliners, the clerics of Iran, the college professors in way too many places, the administrations in way too many places. We'll just say the university set. We knew this. Antifa, Black Lives Matter, we knew this. We knew that Black Lives Matter as an organization was organized and run by Marxists. Of course they were Jew haters. We were fully aware of this, but they hated more than Jews, but we were aware of this. We have been aware of every part of this. And yet I see Jews out there talking about how they're afraid. If you, if you ask me if that's helpful, I will tell you no. I had somebody reach out to me uh, privately. Do you think this is helpful? No. No, I don't. I think it is emotional. And emotional is never helpful. You know what's helpful? Things that are helpful. So I don't have fear. I walk down the street like normal. But like normal for me is armed and prepared. Somebody said, Tony, you really shouldn't say that. Don't let people know. What? I shouldn't be honest and clear and forthright? I'm going to be honest and clear and forthright. Tony, you're drawing attention to yourself. Have we met? <laughs> there, there's a fair amount of attention that already exists. The cat is out of the bag, as they say about cats and bags. I am not afraid because I have been aware. And I would argue that you are not afraid, Jewish or not, because you have been aware. And so when I see people post that they are afraid, when I see them state publicly that they are afraid and then engage in some kind of generality that Jews are afraid, first, I am disgusted by that. No, I am not. But I am disgusted by it because that means that only now that they're aware, or worse, somehow they think that in some magical land, this is not coming for them where they live. That they will not change who they vote for, that they will still send little Seth and little Moisha to Columbia. By the way, you, it, that might be a little bit more inside joke than I intended because I don't think you quite understand the level of insult that I am providing there. Uh, my rabbi may may have gotten it, but y- y- you got to understand that that line is not a throwaway and not to be a joke and not to be stereotypical. It was meant to cut. 
when one realizes that a support of a party and the support of a philosophy, a support of a value system, not only has brought them no good, but has actively brought them harm and has supported the people who desperately want to harm them, people who realize that, who are now aware of that, should, by rational definition, make a change. What scares me? They won't. They'll vote the way they voted. They'll keep engaging in social media the way they engage. And they'll post things like, I'm afraid, out of the desire to virtue signal and not out of the desire to say, we can beat these bastards. Because you have to beat the bastards. I am not afraid of the Jew haters. I'm afraid of the people if you will, who won't change their views and their values knowing that the haters are out there. Ah, maybe I'm not scared of them. More disgusted with their inability to want to better their lives.